Welcome, everyone, to the Chop Shop Striketober Special. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> exactly the thing that I'd imagine entirely too many folks in the world of business really don't want to be seeing or hearing. Now, I mean... The goods must flow, even if they're uh, backlogged by two years. <laughs> and now, of course, we have a f- growing crescendo of labor action. Some estimated, according to the Cornell University strike tracker, are to be in the neighborhood of 252 documented labor actions since January 1st, 2021 alone. So. Yeah. Yeah. God damn. Face these, this wrath, this roused working class and be afraid. Be very afraid for those at sea level. <laughs> oh my god, there are so many of these fucking things. But. Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Plug! Yeah. Let's plug our shit. <laughs> so, yeah, this is Chop Shop Economics, and we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash chop shop economics. Fiverr once a month gets you early access to our content and to some of our specials. And this one is going to be getting into some of the stuff we like to cover in special episodes, but is big enough that we want to get this out in the open. Yeah. (sighs) Oh boy. So yeah, what is this thing other than me riffing on some like very public domain music. Ah, but indeed, a lot of strike actions happen occurring lately. Not that uh, you would notice. Um, there's been kind of a well, you know, a media blackout. Yeah. Not an official one, of course. They're never official, but we all know what's happening. <laughs> They're too busy watching the sports ball in DC. Mm-hmm. You know? Or watching number go up and down. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the time to be looking at your Dogecoin futures. <laughs> no. But, you know, that's kind of where their head's at, so... I guess we're going to have to do the reporting for them. (laughs) Yup. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, this is partly because the labor beat has basically been completely obliterated as a thing in news reporting to the point that it's more like there's some blogs and a couple of people like Kim Kelly who could be reliably described as labor reporters in the mainstream. But that's not, you know, 
Anderson Cooper. Right. In I terms mean. of visibility. <laughs> Let's be real. Ken like... Kelly does great shit, but... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep in mind the context we're operating in. Yeah. I mean, it's like... For instance, did you know that in Miami, there, there's been a strike of janitors running for about four months now. It's still ongoing. Or that there's been a cab driver's strike in New York for the last 27 days. Yeah. Or that healthcare workers have been on strike in Northern California for the last three weeks. Uh-huh. You're seeing a little bit of reporting about uh, IATSE's possible strike, but... Also the UAW. Yeah. To be fair. But that's because, you know, 10,000 people downing tools at the John Deere factory is kind of hard to pretend isn't happening. Yeah. And especially since, you know, there's always that bias towards writing what you know. Like, inevitably, the industry is going to cover the fact that, oh, yeah, all the stagehands are going to walk this coming Monday, the 18th. Potentially. Potentially. We'll get into it. Yeah. But this is what Striketober is, and it's a term that, you know, popped up in an alternate article and a bunch of other places on Twitter, and now it's just sort of become its own thing, and, you know, on its face, it could just be, you know, another hashtag, take your pick, but this one might actually have some teeth to it. When you look at the Cornell strike tracker numbers, which, again... 252 strikes up to this point since the beginning of this year which is not as high as it was during like say you know 2020 where there were just spontaneous strikes breaking out all over the place but is still like some of the highest numbers the u.s has seen since the 1980s of that 252 40 have started as of october 1st to time of recording which would be approximately 15% of all labor actions that have happened since January 1st. A number that, if we're going to assume, for whatever reason, strikes happening equally in in any different part of the year, which, you know, is theoretically possible. Um, You could have contract negotiations going on in any industry at any point during the year. Um, But it's kind of interesting that the this does seem to be ticking up because if we look at it as this is 15% of all strikes within this year which is an unusually large year by american standards have happened in the last 2 weeks yeah that could be described i think quite fairly as an escalation oh yes <laughs> like i think that's an appropriate term to use in this context yeah so, we already covered a couple of them, but what's on the board right now? Oh boy, we got so much on the board of uh, places going on strike. Like we mentioned John Deere, where, you know, care of John Furman with labor notes. Uh, there's some amazing reporting that's been going on around that, um, where we're already seeing John Deere, like, putting their foot in it 
by doing everything from like shutting down steel foundries that are basically once they're shut down have to be totally dismantled and replaced um to drafting 650 office workers to do the job of 10,000 skilled manufacturing workers um <laughs> how is that going <laughs> Yeah, um, day one, they're already having, like, reports of, like, work safety problems. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it, like, the very first shift before, like, 8 a.m., they already had a 911 call for an accident? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, somebody, um, overshot with a tractor while trying to pull it into the bay, um... And it crunched an electrical box and scared the living daylights out of some poor bastards. <laughs> in, in fairness, yeah, I would probably overshoot with a tractor too, but i that's because I have about as much experience driving tractors as these people do, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a piece of heavy machinery. And this kind of, uh, those kinds of things can't be learned in, you know that sort of cram course that they threw everyone into. Um, yeah. They have pickers who um, do not understand the nuances of international shipping. Um, it's they... just, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to, like, it's just kind of hilarious to see that neoliberalism has so thoroughly dissolved the working class that they can't properly scab anymore. Yeah. I mean, technically they're not scabbing. Um, but you know, in you know, if this was like back in Rockefeller's day or whatever, they'd just be rounding up a bunch of like hooligans off the docks, going, "Hey, we're gonna give you a job. You got to beat the shit out of those guys first, though." Mm-hmm. By contrast, like even bat an eye. <laughs> you know, dragging the IT guy to, out of the department and asking him to work as a picker for twelve hours a day, six days a week. Um, and the only thing you've told them is, so here's where all the crap is. Good luck. Like, I mean, that's not going to end well. And as I understand it, they've got a new cycle of combine production that is supposed to happen on November 1st and 15th. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, um, I guess in a few months, if you're in the market for a new John Deere, uh, maybe just buy a used one. Maybe yeah. just buy a used one. I wouldn't... I would not trust a machine that had been assembled by managers. Or office Especially drones. not after, you know, that footage from last year of the cop-made barricade and see it in a what was it twin cities yeah yeah the one with the expanding foam (laughs) it was like on the level of a fucking gingerbread house (laughs) i mean it would have been i think it was actually worse than useless because they knew just enough to really really fuck it up um as opposed to these guys you're just gonna fuck it up (laughs) Like, they knew that you're not supposed to, like, just stack shit on top of each other, but the fact of the matter is that would have actually been safer. Yeah. But yeah, 
by the way, if you are a John Deere white collar worker and li- and are listening to this, there is this great union called the OPEIU. Hit them up. I'm sure they'd love to work with you. Yeah. Hit them up. <laughs> but yeah, um, so we got the John Deere strike. Um, so <laughs> IOTC is also going on strike potentially going on strike on October 18th. Um, that contract is currently under discussion again, and there's some new offer that's being made at the 11th hour to try to stave things off. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, like we just found out about this like an hour ago. And the only reason we can't say for sure that this has ended is that, you know, the rank and file still have to approve any contract that's just how it works yeah that's just the way unions are and it's like we don't know the details of the contract so we also don't know how many of their demands were won but i'm guessing that there's enough on the table that it's not a complete waste of time otherwise you know yeah so this would be, by the way, just to catch people up as far as the grievances that are going on here. These are grievances that, by the way, are very consistent across all these different places that are having strikes, which kind of explains why the pedal's really starting to hit the metal with mm-hmm. labor militancy in the U.S., and that is people are being overworked. They are being shortchanged on pay. Like, for example, with John Deere, they've got this weird management, like, department-by-department bonus scheme, which has been basically completely shot to hell by COVID, which is something totally beyond the control of any of the workers. So most of the workforce has basically had to take a functional pay cut since 2020 already. And then there's, like, workers consistently saying we're being overworked or be we're not being given sufficient breaks or safety checks or any of the shit that should be going on under these conditions. In the case of IATSE, it's that they're being forced to work like 12 hour days without breaks um, and are also being shortchanged on pay because of the ambiguity around streaming services. Um, Just all like it's uh, and like Kaiser workers that are going on strike. Similarly, it's because again, people are being overworked, underpaid. It's, really consistent like there are like some very specific things about what's going on with the pay and the workloads at each place but generally that's basically what it is consistently yeah sometimes it's even the simple shit like you know the company has dragged ass for too long on getting a contract which is what's happening with one of the kaiser bargaining units here like they don't have a contract at all they're just recognized. And so there's uh, their strike action is to get them a contract in the first place and not have it be totally lopsided, you know? Yeah. So that's, but that's like kind of worth keeping in mind as we go ahead with these different strikes is that the grievances are fairly consistent because the mm-hmm. stresses that are being exerted on workers because of COVID are fairly consistent. Yeah. Material conditions causing material consequences. What a shocker. And the, uh, in the Florida Janners case that I was talking about earlier, um, the strike is in part about the fact that they're paid 
just slightly above federal minimum wage. Because until very recently, there was no minimum wage law in Florida. And as it is, it's only going to be $10 going up to 15 by 2026, which is not a lot of money to, you know, put up with, you know, residents of Miami cleaning Much up for them. <laughs> make a decent-ish living. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Miami is expensive. It's not. Yep. It's not, you know, totally out of, uh, off the wall, but. <sighs> it's urban living in America. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean. But it's also like, like, we've got, like, a bunch of other stuff, like the Kellogg workers the, who are on strike in, mm-hmm. what's it, Michigan? Um, at the main uh, production site. And they're on strike because, again overwork underpay people are being forced to move at a faster pace than they're prepared for because covid circumstances and the demands of business ramping back up to normal um uh the heaven hill whiskey distillery is also currently going into like what it's third week on strike like they're a pretty big fourth. like yeah fourth uh they're a big distillery in um kentucky because you know bourbon and again same things all across the board uh it was the same thing with the nabisco strike especially because the pay was especially brutal and also the recent uh strikes by members of the carpenters union throughout the pacific northwest like this is all people that are pretty consistently saying you know what we've been taking this and we're not taking it anymore Oh, um, you know that Heaven Hill strike? Mm hmm. That was. That fourth week thing? That was a couple weeks ago. Oh. They're still running. Damn. Um, Even better. Demands are pay, <laughs> and management is trying to force through a, uh, a really crazy non traditional work schedule. Um,. <sighs> marketing unit is 420 nice i mean you know it's kentucky you know you don't normally expect this kind of thing but would you put up with this bullshit oh no so yeah this is again this is the consistent thing and we're also like there's been reports at the john deere strike as well as at the kellogg and nabisco strikes or things like truckers honoring picket lines and like shows of solidarity so this is not just hey these folks at these specific places are mad as hell and aren't taking it anymore oh yeah like some of these we're picking out are fairly random like yeah there are are some just the ones we know about right and I mean that's not really all that's going on I mean a lot of this is you know on the one end people who are still employed 
are just, you know, mad hell. They're not going to take it anymore. But what about the other end? What's the full oh, picture? Yeah. yeah, the so-called labor shortage, uh-huh. which Robert Reich, in one of the few times I'm going to actually quote him in a positive fashion described as the unorganized general strike of the working class. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I I mean, I could make, I could see a case for that. But yeah, that's what we're getting at is this thing that's being called in the news the labor shortage which by the way there's been some recent like stuff floating around on twitter of folks saying oh this is a strike by capital this isn't a labor shortage it's a false narrative it's like well let's like really actually pick apart what we mean when we're talking labor shortage because in some ways there is a real labor shortage at work here in other ways yeah by the numbers there are enough people theoretically with enough appropriate training because this is American neoliberal capitalism that every existing opening could actually be filled by somebody who's capable of doing whatever that job is. Yeah. Um, It's not a, we're not in a climate where there's a lack of job opportunities. Like that has to be stressed. Yeah. I mean, that was more the case at the beginning of this crisis. Not so much now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so this isn't unemployment, like, or lack of people filling positions because there aren't positions to be filled. This is something that's kind of new and different. And it really kind of breaks down to a couple of things. The first one that we have to really actually get into is the elephant in the room called COVID-19. Yeah. Like, we used to make a lot of cracks about the pandemic killing fields. We still do. And we did not make those lightly. Um, how to put this? Like, we, a bunch of people fucking died. <laughs> The official death toll is, what, 700-some-odd thousand so far? Uh-huh. The real number, including excess deaths, overloading the healthcare system and all that other shit, um, probably once the historians are done, it's going to crack a million just for this time period. Easily. 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 Like that's a lot of people in the span of a year this is like you know and let's emphasize that we're talking about like a million in a year and a half you don't just scoop a chunk that big out of any country's demographic makeup at random and such a short span of time and just expect there not to be consequences right one of those consequences being the people who did some of those shitty jobs are now dead. Yeah. And we can be reasonably certain of that because we've got data that care of the university of California, San Francisco, that breaks down what professions suffered the highest mortality rates. And like we said at the beginning of the show, with the exception of cops, pretty much every single one is 
one that you will find hits for on nobody wants to do this job anymore. Yeah. And even the cops thing is that's mostly because, you know, a lot of them are just plate carriers at this point. Yeah. Like there were uh, there was some crazy shit last year where I swear to God, the cops were pretty much actively spreading it by their behavior of, you know, hassling people without masks. (laughs) Well, not wearing masks, I should say. (laughs) And it had predictable consequences. (laughs) And there's, like, large chunks of the police force that are confirmed to be Qs Mm -hmm. and anti-vax. And there's, like, places like the L.A. Sheriff's Department who have straight up said, yeah, we're not getting the shot. Fuck you. We don't care that the city government just told us to. And the state government did, too. Yeah. I mean, would you be surprised by that? Leaving that aside, it we've really got to get back to that. It's, these are, like, these jobs that are not being filled mm-hmm. are jobs that were previously filled. Yeah. Now they're not. And the rest were like, you know what? I want to be paid for my work. Like, or at the very least, if I'm going to risk death with this career, I am going to expect more. Yeah. Like... I want to be actually paid. I don't want to be paid seven twenty-five. I don't want to be paid two thirteen an hour plus tips. I want to be paid actual fucking money for my actual fucking work. And especially because a lot of these jobs are not like jobs anyone would particularly choose to want to go into, with some exceptions. Right. Like, we're talking cooks and warehouse workers and people in the supply chain. Funny that. As well as, like, a lot of service positions. Which are technically at the long... uh, at the end of the long tail of the logistics system. Like, at some point, it has to be brought to the point of consumption. Where, you know... Money is exchanged for services or goods. And if there's nobody working that end, then the goods don't get to the customer. And the chain is broken. Yep. But yeah, that's part of what's going on here is there has been a systematic decimation of a significant chunk of the working population in the United States. It is a distribution that has been disproportionately falling on specific chunks that happen to also be ones that are pretty vital to making this economy work. Yeah. So now people are demanding that everyone go back to work and all that. And it's like, oh, wait, people who were there doing this job are gone the other people who might be doing this job did what you told them to do retrained and stopped working that shitty ass job all those jokes about you know forklift certified 
Yup. Or they went, hey, I don't have to, like, stand behind a counter at the fucking Burger King and suffer. I can actually bump up to someplace that might pay me. Mm-hmm. Or, hell, at this point, if... I, I guarantee anyone running a small, like, business in the restaurant industry, if you put up an advertisement that says, pay 20 an hour, full medical, dental, and vision, and you're allowed to be shitty to customers once an hour, you'd have a line out the door. You'd have more resumes than you know what to do with. Yeah. Like, you could take tips off the table, and you would not, you'd be beating applicants away with a stick. With that plate of benefits. Especially that third one. Oh, yeah. Like, that would make me think really hard about, like, changing jobs. <laughs> it's like, so wait, I'm allowed once an hour to be a dick. <laughs> hmm. What's the counter offer? <laughs> yeah. It's, Yeah. That so that's a big part of what's going on is that, and this is what's funny is that you know they like people in power seriously made the argument of if we slash unemployment then it'll force those people to go back to work and turns out nope it hasn't happened. <laughs> Not according to the U.S. Jobs Report. <laughs> God damn. And, you know, there's also that thing going around, the quote-unquote great resignation. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, not nothing. There are, like, record numbers of Americans quitting their jobs in these times. Turns out, having to live when, like, a lethal illness running amok tends to make people reassess their priorities. Who'd have thunk? (laughs) oh god yeah i i I just like need to riff a minute on that it's just something about just like what we're getting into is all shit that feels so fucking blindingly goddamn obvious yeah like why why do we need to say oh yeah 700 fucking thousand people died and a bunch of professions suddenly became a lot more dangerous than they used to be so people don't want to do those jobs like why does that need to be said out loud like why did there ever need to be any disagreement with this thing that's like duh yeah yeah oh my god And some of this is like, oh my god, the the media narrative around some of this stuff is like completely asinine. Um, (laughs) oh my god. Well, like the Great Resignation, like, it's a Mm -hmm. thing, and it seems to be picking up, because now all those work-from-home jobs are being told, no, you have to go back, because some like pinheaded petty tyrant needs to justify their existence by staring over your fucking shoulder every hour Uh and people quitting and it's like this is all shit that's like duh 
You told people they could work from home. They don't have to put up with a hellish commute. They can literally roll into the office in their jammies, an old band shirt, and with like a fucking bowl of cereal on their desk. Not have to put up with any of the usual office bullshit. And, you know, actually do this thing called like be at home with their kids or whatever. Right. Like, whatever it is that they're missing because of having to go into the office. And then you turned around and told them, no, actually, that's over now. We're done playing pretend. You you get to come back from Neverland now. It's like, the hell did you think was going to happen? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's not for nothing that, on the one hand, you know, some of the media is being like, this 42-year-old saved $660,000 and moved to Mexico after losing her job. <laughs> you know, shit like that, where it's like, you know, all oh, these people are just like, you know, massively privileged. <laughs> and Or, yeah. <laughs> that That's a real article I saw, by the way. Oh, for fuck's sake. I believe it. cnbc not even once god damn it (laughs) and that's like one of our main sources too yeah but it's not for nothing that a lot of people in the know hold it in contempt yeah and i mean if they weren't if they were you know more useless an aggregator we wouldn't even bother discussing them but like yeah and, you know, it's like this sort of shit. Like the media It's a shortage. Yeah, it's a shortage. Like, they want they want people they bo- to believe that the only people who are complaining about this are like, you know, people who have like half a million dollars in the bank and can fuck off to Cancun. Where presumably they won't wear a mask and, you know, terrorize the locals. But, you know. It's like whenever they do shit like slash local schools and universities and talk about, oh, those teachers and their, like, and faculty with their, like, massive benefits and too much pay and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm sorry, have you, like, met anyone who's currently, like, any way involved in education in this country? Um <laughs> actually had a conversation with them and watching the chair absolutely doesn't count at all also known as the show whose research was ripped from new york times op-ed pages (laughs) oh my god that that must be so rancid (laughs) i guarantee never in the history of ever has a white male professor been fired for throwing a hitler salute in the classroom full stop not who had tenure (laughs) full fucking stop (laughs) but yeah it's the same kind of media misrepresentation it's like talking about suddenly that like these people are privileged or that they're like so well paid and they have these great benefits and shit it's like for example, like, there's already been shit coming out about, well, these auto workers have, like, these things called pensions and actual healthcare benefits, and it's like, yes! The way everybody should! 
the way most people in most so-called developed countries currently do. Yeah. And instead we get puff pieces about someone who fucked off to Mexico. We get... Or, shit, playing up the unions into being something they're totally not. Yeah, like... Uh, like, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think the labor aristocracy concept is really weak, but it seems that the capitalists have seized on that propaganda for their own purposes. Well, you know, allegedly, allegedly, the guy who wrote Settlers is only known address as a P.O. Box in Langley, Virginia, so make of that what you will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> allegedly <laughs> but it's yeah like they're they seem to be trying to seize on it and try to play off of privilege and identity politics and shit to delegitimize that these are people that are going look this is bullshit and this strain that is showing up on the labor force isn't just manifesting in strikes like there was that recent mass cancellation of flights by southwest airlines they canceled something like 2,000 flights or something in one day mm-hmm. and you know the right-wing media promptly went oh no it's because they had to enforce the vax mandates and like well there seems to be like a tiny grain of truth to that like you know there are like healthcare workers who have said i am not getting vaxxed and fucked off and i'm actually okay with that thank you please do but um (laughs) like that has probably happened at a low level in the airline industry but according to like the pilots union that's not the case what's going on is again any guesses (laughs) what do y'all think it could be (laughs) burnout (laughs) overwork underpaid And that's if you were, you know, lucky enough to be kept in the loop. Because remember when they, you know, shuttered all those training centers for like several months so people can stay current? Yeah! Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just like, you know, doubling down on like the ones they didn't lose from that process. And unsurprisingly, this is what's happening. And it's not just on the pilot side, either. It's the mechanics union, too. Like, it's the same thing. It's like, we've been, we're basically a broken record on this at this point. We've been saying this since, like, the fucking third episode, when the arc jumped off a cliff because of COVID. The, the way neoliberalism is structured is it stretches everybody way too thin. It's all about cutting costs and maximizing profit and eliminating redundancy as much as possible. So it has no give, it has no slack, and it has no capacity to really cope with unexpected disruption. Yeah, because everything must be routed through the market. Um, for some reason, the market is hyper-efficient. Um, This is an actual assumption they make, the efficient market hypothesis, which is apparently a law of economics now. It's the same, it it has like (laughs) the same, you know, actual, 
evidentiary basis as Milton Friedman's thought experiment about how the billiards player has a perfect grasp of the game, so he knows all of the optimal shots, and that is sort of, you know, one of his core assumptions for economics, is that everybody is just magically hyper-informed and aware. Yeah. Source, trust me, bro. (laughs) My name is Milton Friedman. I work at the University of Chicago. I may or may not have advised Pinochet and Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the sort of, you know, geniuses, masters of the universe that we're dealing with here. People who think the market is somehow efficient. And I guarantee it, they really, really, really are that, like, fucking dogmatic about it. I had to read, like, entirely too much of their bullshit, and I still have to read too much of their bullshit for revising my dissertation. So that it will be acceptable for, like, having a doctorate. Yeah. And that includes engaging with some of the stuff that is patently nonsense. It is... Here's a cloud of math that we got a physics grad student to fart out that we claim perfectly represents this thing, assuming everything is operating according to spherical cow shit. Yeah. To them, it was a fun diversion. To you, it runs the entire market. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I guess from that perspective, it's not surprising that they can't really wrap their brains around what's going on because this is not in the model. Mm-hmm. People aren't supposed to respond to material conditions. They're supposed to adhere to these, like, obtruse economic laws that we have divined after, like, hurling numbers at blackboards and watching them fall on the ground and calling it good. Yeah. Sniffing the dry erase markers. The paint. The glue. As you listening do. To the, listening to the babbling of the mad oracle of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who happens to teach at the University of Chicago for some bizarre reason. <sighs> Pritchard you know. Toner brings you closer to the free market fairy. Exactly. That's why you do and- lines of it. And I think, you know, that's part of why they aren't really talking about this shit, because they don't, they're not used to dealing with an economy that consists of people and people responding to discrete material uh, circumstances. No, no, it's like, you know, some magical human, um, a homo economicus, if you will, um, who always makes the right most rational, efficient decisions, even though, you know, all evidence is to the contrary, that people do not act that way, unless they have this particular brain warp, of course. And not even perfectly there. <laughs> it's just... We break ah! away... To, we now break away for reactions to this assertion from the fields of sociology <laughs> physics <laughs> and history uh sociology appears to be like 
dropping their teacup in shock and horror. Physics is sputtering something about this thing called there is a limited quantity of matter in the universe. And history is, oh, they, they've left the room, they've left the room. Oh, there, there, there appears to be a loud shrieking sound, and they are dragging in a floor-length uh, painting of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. It's quite loud. It's very colorful, there too. There appears to be a guillotine <laughs> in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So I guess that actually then raises a fun question that's been rocketing around, and one we may have slightly encouraged on Twitter a little bit, is could this be a general strike? Well, I mean, I gave my answer during the pre-show. No. Not at this juncture. Not at this juncture. But at the same time, it's like... And that stuff is starting to snowball that it's it's on the table now. I'd say it's on the table now. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, because we had to hash this out a bit in the pre-show mm-hmm. and go over what we know. And yeah, that's sort of is the short of it. Is they're just historically speaking, when you look at the big general strikes that have happened, the most successful ones were spontaneous solidarity actions in support of an existing, already fairly robust union strike, and there were also fairly well developed labor movements in all these cases. Literally, like the only example of what you could call an offensive in the terms of deliberate, organized, aggressive general strike in history is of the, note. A, of note would be the one that was waged by Italian trade unionists after Mussolini came to power and the unions went on strike in an attempt to grind it to a halt. Unfortunately, a couple years of having to fight off the black shirts and everybody else and the red years and everything else sort of left the unions in no good position to make it work. So it sort of sputtered and got a lot of people's heads broken and thrown into prison. Um, yeah. So the the historical record says no. Like not not with what we've got. There just isn't enough of a, a trade union movement. Yeah. And it's like conditions haven't broken down sufficiently to you know start bread riots things of that nature. Uh, However, there is one place where we could potentially see the powers that be stupiding the United States into a general strike. Mm -hmm. A largely unorganized one. And that is at the Port of Los Angeles. Oh boy. <laughs> Where in this past week, Joe Biden has made a bunch of big noises supporting 
a recent declaration by port authorities that to deal with the record number of container ships that anchor off the ports of Long Beach and San Pedro, which make up the greater port of LA, that they will now be moving to 24-7 operations. It is sort of worth mentioning at this point that this, on its face, is not a bad idea uh-huh. I guess I mean yes there's lots of ships that need unloading so yes hit the emergency shift button and hope that doesn't tank your hope and discontent meters there I guess yeah It, except you know the port of LA has a hard limit on how much you can increase its rail capacity called yeah, no. <laughs> Good fucking luck. <laughs> like, for reference right now, there are currently 53 ships as of a few days ago waiting at the Los Angeles Long Beach ports. And in um, Shenzhen and Shanghai, there are 97 and 73 which is, you know, the other end. Like, on both sides of this trade flow, there are bottlenecks. And obviously, there's not a hell of a lot the U.S. government can do about the one over there. Short of telling, you know, completely stopping imports. And the one over here, well... All that shit about just-in-time logistics and neoliberalism <laughs> stripping and redundancy. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The only way you're going to bump up capacity at the Port of LA is if you bring in... Like, you're not going to magically have more slips. There's not going to be more docks and cranes because the president has said, I support the Port of LA going 24-7. Like, this isn't fucking command and conquer, for fuck's sake. it takes a minute to do these things uh Mm -hmm. it's not always possible to do these things and you know there's only so many loading and processing facilities that currently exist so it doesn't matter if you make everybody work 24 7 if that just means okay great we've gotten the containers off the ships we don't have any fucking warehouse space. Where are we going to fucking put them? And the trucks are now backed up even longer. So now it's slowing down operations because now we have to deal with more traffic than this port was ever designed to do. Yeah. I mean, it's like to add to that, the current wait time is from seven to 12 days on the long beach side. Care to guess what it is um, in China at both of the, primary ports i it's gotta be worse Uh, it's actually less one to two days for shenzhen and one to three for shanghai i guess they have enough transit infrastructure to make it work apparently but yeah it's not like the u.s is gonna magically (laughs) sprout the capacity for the port of la to work at that pace yeah I mean, this is <laughs> like our supply chain is... is so fucking brittle and inflexible. Like, do you really think that just a port authority saying 
we will do this faster is going to somehow get past that. That is literally like the beatings will continue until the product flows. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like they are sending some of these ships to places like Portland, Everett, San Diego, um, for, you know, what are called ad hoc calls. Um, because some of the uh, some of the ships that are in the queue are ad hoc, they can be sent, you know, wherever they need to be. Um, whereas others are like, we are contracted to go from Shenzhen to um, to Long Beach. We will not be stopping anywhere else. So, if we have to sit in line for a week or two, then so be it. That's our contract. And, you know, to loop it back to the labor dimension of why are we riffing on Biden telling the tide to hold still. (laughs) This is also a port that is organized and represented by the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, also known as one of the most fucking based labor organizations in the United States of America who will stage work stoppages over shit like Israeli arms shipments and in solidarity with Occupy and Black Lives Matter and all kinds of other shit who are still a pretty militant rank and file driven union absolutely and, and who have also organized every single port on the West Coast. Yeah. <sighs> so if, you know, the port authorities and the feds decide to handle this intelligently and say, you know what, we're just going to like pretend we're doing more, even though we recognize we can't do shit about this other than shuffle paper aggressively then we'll just do that and we'll lie to the president and let him save face if they do something like that then you know maybe things won't explode but if they actually try to enforce a speed up in any significant way that 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 might be slamming into the hard place called the ilwu says no. Yeah. I mean, what else is there left to do? Like, like this isn't exactly, you know, risk-free, safe work. Like, people having to, like, do speed-ups and shit like this in these circumstances leads to greatly increased risk of serious, like, life-altering injuries. So this, the union would be firmly in good standing to be like, dude, fuck off. Uh-huh. You're gonna get our people killed. Yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, shifting cargo to, like, you know, our ports, that's, ultimately, that's a pretty limited strategy. And also puts more stress on those ports workers, too. Yeah. So it's, you know, this is, again, why is everybody on strike? You know the mantra by now. <laughs> but, like, it's, yeah. 
Like, uh-huh. I don't think we'll necessarily get to a general strike just yet. Maybe if the ILWU says, you know what, fuck it, we're shutting down the West Coast, then I could see, like, a spontaneous general strike happening. But yeah, I don't think we're there yet. But the, this is going to be a long and cold winter of discontent. Oh, yeah. <sighs> and it's, like, starting off something fierce. So, yeah. This has been the Chop Shop Spooktober Special. <laughs> Striketober. <laughs> Striketober Special. Ah, there it is. I guess we gotta talk to the bot about things like how the sound cues come on. But anyway, from all of us at chop shop economics reading this shit so you don't have to although you really should read this shit (laughs) bye everyone good luck out there